0: Way back when, when I was a young child, I won't tell you how many years ago that was, um, when you think 2020, it sounds so space-age and futuristic, and now we is here. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's unbelievable, and it is fully believable because God is a God of the present. He is a God of the now, and now it's 2020. And uh, I'm excited because we've been into 2020. We've been uh, gearing up for this for a few months because back in September, you remember uh, 2020, the vision 2020 was rolled out. And uh, So we've already been engaging in this new year and what God is doing. We're excited uh, for all that's happening as uh, we expand a dream and plant a church and and transform a region by the grace and the power and the mercy of God. It's exciting what God's doing here. So I have a question for you. Has God used Grace Fellowship Church to change your life? Has God used Grace Fellowship Church to change your life? There's an opportunity for you to now share that. Uh, Today, uh, out in the lobby, there's a, a video camera that's set up, and Pastor Jeff and Jesse are there. And um, the invitation is for anyone who would like to stop by, feels prompted of God to stop by and just make a statement of declaration of how Grace Fellowship has changed your life. Uh, we're just looking for a sentence or two. We're not looking for, you know, a whole dissertation, uh, but just, uh, just how has, has God specifically changed your life? This isn't an attempt to build up Grace Fellowship. It's an, it's an attempt, and it will lift up and exalt Jesus Christ because it's him that we want to praise. So you have an opportunity to again stop by. Um, as Pastor Jeff asked me to, uh, to bring this to your attention, I, I've, I've actually been reminiscing. So this time of year is significant uh, for myself, for my family, because tomorrow it'll be seven years since the first day we stepped into worship here. And um, <laughs> time truly flies. <laughs> But, but the reason that I've been reminiscing on that is that um, it was such an important time in our life where one door was closing and we didn't know what door God was opening. And for us, like, when we walked in those doors, again, tomorrow it's seven years ago. When we walked in the front doors, we had never been in a worship service here. I had already started work here just earlier in the week. But the moment we walked through those front doors, we sensed the Spirit of God. We just felt the warmth and the presence of God. And I can tell you, so this is my long one or two sentences, <laughs> but I can tell you that God has used grace tremendously to impact uh, my life, my family, and it keeps going. He keeps going through grace. God is growing uh, us as a body. And God is being exalted more and more. And uh, that is something that we need to celebrate. That's something that we need to declare. So again, we invite you to, uh, to do that for yourself out at the video camera. So it's a new year. And I know uh, there's been this wrestling because um, Wednesday morning, actually when it became 2020, it was a transition just like every other day, correct? Went from 11.59 one day till, uh, till 12 the next day. I mean, it was just, it, it was what happens every day. And so there's this, for me, there's this tension. It's like, do, um, you know, is it something that should be set aside special or should every day be special? And I think the answer is yes. You know, that God has ordained the celebration of days and festivals and things like that in the Bible. He set aside things. In fact, in a, in a week, God calls us to set aside a day as special as unto him, the Sabbath. So there, are, there is significance in setting aside these days to, um, to specifically look back, to look up, and look forward. Uh, so uh, as a result of that, we often embrace ideas uh, such as New Year's resolutions out of this. I know uh, that can... Seem like a, a bad thing to say, but but here's the encouragement I have for you: is follow what God is leading you to do in regards to the new year. Um, Phil gave a tremendous message uh, last week, and uh, and I'm going to touch on that in just a just another a few minutes. But but the thing is, is allow God to lead you in what He would have you to do right now in this coming year. Um, the resolutions I, I read a study, and of course it's it's one study, but it said that it made it sound like a bad thing that if people, for people that make New Year's resolutions, only 46% succeed. Okay, that's about 10 times more than what I expected. But, <laughs> um, but it said for those that make resolutions, only about 46% succeed. Of those that want to make change and don't make resolutions, only about 4%. So, I mean, there's something about driving a stake in the ground and saying, um, this is what I'm purposing to do. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is actually uh, that that we want that to be a daily thing. You know, that we certainly, if God uses the new year as a trigger for you to set aside, to define, make a resolution, make yourself accountable, uh, do some things that are measurable, and then uh, make sure that you're progressing in that, then that's wonderful. In fact, as I was, as I was thinking about it, I won't ha- ask anybody to raise their hands, but there's a chance that some of you are here in service this morning because of a new year's resolution. And we celebrate that. That's not, not something to be negative about. We celebrate that because we want a change to happen. And I was going to touch on some New Year's resolutions, and you know, there's a lot that are common, that are often said, but I wanted to give you a few unique, what I consider a little bit different, New Year's resolutions that are found online. Okay, so ready? The first one, get lost without any help from Siri. Okay. Now this one isn't just a resolution, this is probably going to get quite a few of us. Check facts before sharing on so- social media. Yeah, I heard the drop, <laughs> okay. Um, Now, this one, yeah, uh, stop kids from flossing in public. (laughs) Okay, now, I'll confess, um, when I read that, I'm thinking, like, what's dental hygiene have to do with, okay, it's not flossing, it's that dance that they do, you know, that became popular in Fortnite. So, I won't demonstrate that would would not be good. Okay, so this one, (laughs) this one I can really relate to, stop procrastinating. Okay, wait, but that's not the whole resolution. Stop procrastinating, beginning tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Uh, this had special meetings. to me after last week. Always leave one potato chip. Okay, now, I wouldn't have understood that very well if I hadn't heard Phil's message. If you didn't hear it, make sure you go back and listen because it applies to popcorn too, okay? Um, but I was always told you clean the plate because there's starving children in Africa, but one potato chip, it won't make a difference. So, um, this one I really like because it's immediate failure. The resolution is, don't make any New Year's resolutions. <laughs> okay? And lastly, um, use your gym card more often. Now, this doesn't really make sense unless you see the picture I saw. A person is holding their, their gym card and using it to cut a Swiss roll. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but the idea, though, is that we want to improve we want to move forward. We want to get better. And um, as uh, Phil shared last week, again, it has to do with what we do with habits. It's habits that matter. And the first point of the message is something that that really has been um, driven home with me over and over and over in these past months. And it's been confirmed, as Phil shared, and then even in this week, um, is that one small change can make a very significant difference. And, you know, we underestimate what a small change, the difference that a small change can make. You know, so many times we're uh, thinking about these significant changes that need to happen in our lives, and it's true for all of us. There are significant things that need to be changed, and we need to find change in our lives. But it starts often with a small step. Now, don't get me wrong, we shouldn't discount the immediate big change. You know, I I hope that you've experienced that, where in your life, all of a sudden, there's this huge turn, and and you were going this direction, now you're going that direction, and, and that's a beautiful thing. But we often underestimate the difference that a small change can make. That that one degree of direction as you continue in that process over time will make a huge difference. Uh, So I want to encourage you to embrace, again, that small change and and walk walk forward in that direction. Um, But what we're talking about today, again, is that as we're entering the new year, in fact, um, for the message today, (coughs) the title uh, is Daily Deposits. And when I was thinking about the message, I originally thought different titles. But one of the titles I considered was Deposits for the New Year. And it certainly would have been appropriate. And you'll see as we go through the message that that certainly would have fit. But the reality is is that this is a call to daily daily deposits of how we handle deposits. And that's something that I believe, again, that we need to to embrace. Again, the changes that God's leading us in need to be constant. They need to be daily. and, And often, again, even if it's small, we need to celebrate the small changes. We need to rejoice in, in what we're seeing God do, even if it seems small, because God is a big God and he's able to take those small things and make big differences. So our foundational text is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles or uh, go there on your electronic device, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to give you a little bit of background uh, on this book. So it's important that, that we understand that, that this, uh, it's 2 Timothy, it's a second letter that's written from Paul to Timothy. And uh, Paul's writing from prison. Uh, we know that he's in Rome, he's in prison, and there are a number of prison, prison epistles that, that Paul wrote. Uh, but what's different about this one is that uh, previously, when he had been in Rome in prison, he was under house arrest. Okay, he had, had freedoms, he had people coming and going, there were, there were visitations, so he had, he had a lot of rights as a Roman citizen. But history tells us that he was released from that imprisonment and had a number of years of ministry following that imprisonment. This is an imprisonment that's, that was much different. In fact, this is an imprisonment that uh, most historians believe, believe ended in Paul being beheaded. And so he's writing this letter to, to Timothy uh, from probably a, a damp, dark dungeon. A lot different situation than before. And from the, the letters that Paul's written, again, many scholars believe that Paul wrote at least 13, if not 14, uh, books of the New Testament. But uh, this one is significant because this is believed to be Paul's last recorded words. So I want that to sink in. In a dungeon, in a prison, Paul was aware that he was most likely about to be executed for the gospel. And he's writing this letter to Timothy. And Timothy was a person who uh, was especially near and dear to his heart. There's a number of people that that he referred to as, as a son. But Timothy had a special place as a son to to Paul. Uh, Timothy was one of the people that Paul had mentored, uh, had come alongside of. Um, Paul had entrusted him to be overseer uh, at the church in Ephesus, which was a church that was very very dear, near and dear to Paul's heart. Uh, but they had co-labored together, and they, they were, there was an extremely close bond. Um, and it, it's referred to, again, he's referred to as a dear son, as one who was especially close to Paul. So this is the setting of, what, um, of this letter and what's being written. So when we think about last words, uh, when somebody knows that they're speaking their last words, these are extra, <laughs> extra important to listen to. Not that the others aren't. All Scripture is, is, is Spirit-inspired. Uh, but we want to listen to these words as, some, as the last words that Paul was imparting to Timothy and the last words that, that he wrote that then would, would be distributed as a letter, as an epistle. So I'm going to ask that we would just pause and that we, we would ask God to, um, to speak his word specifically to us. Paul's talking to Timothy and God is talking to us uh, through these words. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Uh, God, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. God, we thank you that you are very near. God, that your presence is with us always. But God, I thank you that as we've come together in the name of Jesus that you're in our midst. God, we thank you that we've had the joy to lift our voices and our hearts to you in worship and exaltation. And God, we've sensed, we've experienced your presence. Now, God, we pray that you would um, open our hearts, uh, position our minds, even give strength and attention uh, to our bodies, Lord, that we can receive your word um, with gladness. God, that we would hear these words as words that are being spoken from you to us. So, God, I thank you for every individual that is here. And God, for those that are in this worship center and out in the cafes and for those that will hear online. God, we thank you that you are giving this opportunity for us to hear from you. And God, we desire not to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. So God, lead us in the steps that you would have us to take. Lead us in the change that you are desiring for us to partner with you, God, in our lives. And Lord, in and through it all, we give you the credit. We give you the glory for you alone are worthy. Uh, We love you and we praise you. All those people said, amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at just a few verses uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and um, we'll give a little bit of context in just a a few minutes. Uh, But Paul is writing in the first chapter, beginning with verse 11, and he says this, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard would I have entrusted unto him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So the key verses that we're going to be looking at today are verses 12 and 14. And what we're going to be doing is looking at two deposits, Again, daily deposits. I believe that God is calling us to, to see and to discover in the Scripture and to embrace not just as an idea or as a truth but as of a practice. So the two deposits in verse 12, it's my deposits with God. In verse 14, it's God's deposits with me. Now, I, I always love the way God works, but sometimes he just does some special things, and I experienced that about 10 minutes ago or so um, when we were led in that worship of of lifting, of presenting to God, giving thanks for what is not yet here. So what I want to do is look at these. I want to add some physical motion. So this is if you committed to exercise for this year, here's some help, okay? Um, We're going to put some physical motion to these two deposits, okay? So for this first one, for my deposits with God, I'd like you to just kind of put your hands together. You're holding something, okay? And then I just ask that you would just then lift that up, making it my deposits with God. Now, that from that position, we're making deposit to God. We receive from God, and it's God's deposits with me that we bring the hands back down, okay? So we're going to put it to music and do it. No. <laughs> we were, I want to go through it a couple more times because I want this to be embedded in us. So the daily deposits, I want you to be thinking about this, and this may be something that you'll literally do on a daily basis in your time with God, hopefully not while you're driving a car. So, again, cup your hands in front of you. My deposits with God, we lift and present them to God. And God's deposits with me, we receive back to ourselves. One more time. My deposits with God and God's deposits with me. This is a truth that God uh, showed me a lot of years ago. I couldn't even begin to guess. But it's something that I've embraced and walked in. But what I've also found that I forget. And God brings back to my remembrance these important daily deposits. So what I want you to, to make sure that you understand is that anytime we're looking at, the, at Scripture, at the Gospel, um, at, at, at the instructions that God gives to us through the Word, what God is, is revealing is Himself through these words, okay? That the Word became flesh, and, and Jesus Christ is the Word. As He spoke, His life went forward. So when God calls us to something... Okay, when God gives us commands in any regard, there's a revelation of God because God is instructing us in ways that would lead us to be more like Jesus. And what we, when we look at this, when we look at these concepts of, again, uh, my deposits with God and God's deposits with me, Jesus modeled this incredibly. You can see it all through his life. And I'm not going to be pointing to that throughout the message, but I want you to remember that anytime there's a truth that God is giving instruction, he's leading us to be more like him. So those instructions actually give revelation to who he is. So it's an extremely important foundational principle. So my deposits with God. So this first part, again, what we're going to be looking at is this, uh, it's the second half of verse 12, where Paul makes these statements. I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Would you read those words with me? I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And what we're going to do is break this down into into three separate phrases and just talk through what Paul Paul is saying to Timothy in this statement. He begins again, and we're, we're going to focus first, on I know whom I have believed. I'm confident, I am fully confident In the God that I believe in. Paul's making this declaration uh, coming from a place where he didn't know God. It was probably about 35 years before this time that Paul had had his encounter on on the road to Damascus. And he was blinded. And at that time, he thought he knew God. He was a student of the law. He had studied. He was um, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he knew his stuff in regards to Scripture. But he didn't know God. What a difference 35 years makes. Because he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and, and the light was so bright that it blinded him. But God used that experience to bring revelation, to reveal to him a personal relationship with God, an understanding of God that he didn't have before. So he had this confidence that I know whom I have believed. This surety, this full confidence. And the thing is is that, that, that knowing God was a pro- progressive thing within his life. And I believe that after this, he was continuing To know God more and more and more. He got to know God through uh, withdrawing into a private place with the word of God, allowing the spirit of God to speak to him. He got through uh, extremely difficult things. And in those circumstances, the the trials and the the struggles of life, he was learning to know God more. Learning to know God's character. Learning to to grow in, again, his personal knowledge of God. This, again, is not just a head knowledge where I know about. It's a personal, intimate relationship of knowing God, and Paul laid this foundation. He said, "I know. I am confident. I am fully confident in the One in whom I believe." So the question is, do you know Him? Do you know Him? I want to show you this video because I was, as I was seeking a ways to present who He is. Uh, this video, many of you have seen this before, but it, I think it's so powerful. It talks about Jesus and who He is, because as we see Jesus. We have the revelation of God. And the question throughout is Do you know him?
1: The Bible says, My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I I wonder do you know him? <laughs> My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. Claims the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-frame of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable, he's incompetent, He's invincible. he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah.
0: Know who I have believed. And as beautiful as that description of God is, there's more. He's more. He's greater. He's more powerful. He's more loving. Words can't describe him. But the foundation is, do I know him? Do I have a confidence that I know whom I have believed? It's so important that we do know him. And and, you know a lot of life has to deals with us unlearning things that we have believed about God that are not true. Like, as he helps us to unlearn, we can em- embrace in a greater way the truth of who he is and, and know him more fully. Uh, I want to direct you, I'll uh, just uh, make quick reference to this, Exodus 34, the first part of the chapter. Moses had, had had conversation with God, and this is right at the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you remember, he was up on the mountain, he came down, and the people were in great sin, he broke the tablets, and, and um But then he had this conversation with God. It's like, God, I I want your glory to be revealed to me. Show me who you are. And he was called to go up on the mountain a second time with tablets that God would again give uh, the law, the the Ten Commandments. But in that process, God revealed himself to Moses. And I just want to read these few verses, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 9. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of, of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassion and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children of their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff necked people, forgive our wickedness. In our sin, and take us as your inheritance. When we seek God and we desire and we say, God, would you reveal who you are to me? He is faithful. The scripture says as we seek him with all of our hearts, he will be found. He is not desiring to hide himself or to withhold himself from us, but he is openly desiring to give himself more fully to help us to understand more and more who he is. My encouragement is to seek him, that you would know him. Shared this verse... uh, the previous message, that "This is eternal life that they know you," is what Jesus said praying to the Father, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Matthew 11. Jesus said this, "All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Son is desiring to reveal the Father to you. Will you seek, will you ask? God wants to give you this confidence that Paul has that I know whom I have believed. In second Corinthians chapter 3 scripture says that whenever anyone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away the veil that keeps us from understanding God. When we turn to the Lord by the spirit of God that veil is lifted and we can see him and we can know him. Do you know him? Paul said I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. This is my deposits with God. I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. When we look at this, the the idea of of entrusting to, uh, there's a Greek word that that actually it's deposit. And in the ancient world, the, the deposit meant something a little bit different in that, there weren't the banks that we have today. Sometimes there was treasure that went trusted. The temple that functioned as, as like a, a security place. But typically when somebody wanted, uh, for instance, a person was going away. And they were going to be leaving their tr- some form of treasure behind. They would entrust that deposit to another individual. That they would trust another person with what was valuable to them. And there was a sacred oath. I mean, there was something very solemn that happened. When a person would give... Um, give their, that deposit to that person because they're saying, I'm trusting you with this. I'm, in, in, I'm putting this in your, your hands that you will keep it safe so that when I return, it will be as I've left it. So this idea of deposit, again, spoke in, in a slightly different way. For us, we have more the idea of, uh, if we think in deposit, we think of a bank of an institution. But this was a personal entrusting. That it was giving to another person. And, in fact, sometimes a person would entrust their, their wealth or what's valuable to them um, that t- would even be passed on to their children. But it was, it was, again, a sacred trust that this person was vowing that this will be here for your kids if they return and you can um, And there's some, some incredible stories written around this as far as how people handed these sacred tr- handled these sacred trusts. But God is in the, inviting us to deposit with him. God is inviting for us to take of what is ours, and, and I need to clarify that because there's really nothing that's ours that is ours, right? You know, and, and whether a person is a believer or an unbeliever, you know, I think we need to recognize that the breath that I breathe is a gift from God. That the strength that I have, you know, you often hear, hear the team, like a, the, this, this statement of like a self-made person. There's no such thing. Because a person can't have have strength, they can't have intelligence, they can't have wisdom, they can't have life itself unless it's given to them by God. Scripture says that that all things are sustained by the power of the Word, that it's God who holds all things together. But the things that are entrusted to us, things that are given to us, there's great value. So they're ours, but they're they're ours as stewards, even if we don't realize that. But it's, again, taking what is given to me And depositing with God and trusting it to God. Saying, God, person to person, God, I take this and I deposit it with you. I take this and I deposit it with you. And Paul said again, I'm convinced because I know God. I know who he is. I'm convinced that he is able to keep, to guard what I've entrusted to him. Now, this is something that I believe that God is, going, is calling us to know and to grow in all the days of our lives. To know this, that, that we can be convinced and be fully confident that God will guard, that he will keep that which I deposit, that which I entrust to him. Now what happens when I fail to deposit things with God? We'll play that scenario first. When I fail to give to God that which belongs to him, First of all, I miss God's plan for the moment. I miss what he has for me right now, and that impacts my future. When I fail to deposit with God, I miss growing to know him more because I'm withholding from him. It's in that deposit that I'm making connection. I'm building faith. I'm building trust in God. When I fail to deposit with God, I have anxiety. So many times we're anxious because we're holding on to things that we need to be giving to God, and this is a natural thing for us. It's not that we have to try to be anxious; anxiety comes naturally. And so often, what I've found is that I can catch myself being anxious because I'm holding on to something that I really need to place in God's hands. Because when I'm holding on to it, I'm trying to fix it, I'm trying to work it out, I'm trying to um, to be God. So that anxiety comes. I lack freedom when I fail to deposit with God. I want you to think about that. Because if my hands are holding something I'm not supposed to be holding, they're not free to do what God would have me to do. I lack freedom when I fail to deposit with God. Now, one of the things, and we'll talk about some of the things that that God is calling us to deposit, but one of the things that, that I think is so critical, and we talked about New Year and Days and Times Our time needs to be something that we deposit with God. Our schedules need to be something that we deposit with God. Because we are so hurried. And so many times it's our schedules that cause so much angst in our lives and so much anxiety in our lives. But it's because so often we're holding our schedules as if they're our our own. Instead of saying, God, okay, my deposit with you is this moment, this day, my plans. You know, it, it's often, you know, a lot of times, I, I'm sure I've been guilty of saying this years ago, and then I stopped. It's like, I just wish there was another hour in the day. I wish, you know, would that really be the answer? Because if there's another added hour, hour added to the day, I would add two hours of things to get accomplished in that, right? I mean, it, it's, it's the way that we're, we function as a society. Many societies are, are geared much differently where time isn't handled the way we handle time. But will we give our schedules to God? Will we trust our time into his hands? You realize that there is always, this is without exception, there is always enough time in the day for you to do what God would have you to do. Okay, maybe that seems obvious or maybe it's, it doesn't seem real. But for what God has scheduled for you for this day, what God has scheduled for me for this day, there's time to do it. The problem is that so many times I pick up things even good things that I'm not supposed to pick up, and then I'm, I'm robbing myself of the time that God has for me to invest in other ways. Now, we don't want this to become a burden. It becomes a joy because I be, start to be freed instead of carrying this yoke of thinking that I need to accomplish all these things and do get all these things done. You know, if we would just make this deposit of our schedules with God, what a difference. Can we say, I'm convinced that God's able to guard my time as I entrust it to him? Yeah, I think, I think God might be calling us to do that. And what a change in life. So, again, maybe this isn't a huge change, but maybe it's a small step we start taking. One of the things that, that I've often done, and I can't say 100% consistency, but one of the things that helps me so much is that when I wake in the morning, one of the first things I want to do, think, and, and say is say, thank you, God, for the gift of this day. Thank you for this breath. I don't want to take it for granted. God, you've given me this day for a purpose. You've given this day for a reason. God, I want to give it back to you. I want to deposit this with you. So then we can take that same concept. We just spent some time l- looking at, at, thing, at, at time, but, but so many other things that God is, is going to be prompting us, he's going to be calling us. When all of a sudden we're going to realize this is my, in my hands, what am I going to do with it? Instead of doing all this and trying to work it out, will I just look at it and say, okay, God, this is what you're calling me to deposit with you. How simple. I know, God, that I can trust you. And I'm convinced that you're going to take this as I give it to you. Here's just a few things. What about your heart? I know I dealt with uh, some struggles in my life, and and I was fighting those struggles. It's like this isn't what I want in me. But yet what God led me to was literally a a giving of my heart, depositing my heart with him. And it was a moment because I've been seeking him, but he prompted me to that. It's like you just need to yield to me. You're not surrendering. You're trying to work this out yourself, and you're trying to do it even in good ways in prayer and reading the word and counsel. But you haven't just surrendered your heart. What about your life as a whole? Have you given your life to God? Have you made the deposit of your life into God's hands? What about your past? You know, a lot of times we can do well in that we find forgiveness from our sin, but yet we can still carry our past instead of making that deposit with God and saying this is yours. What about our future? Things that we may long for or want or be consumed with. We're constantly looking ahead. What about depositing our future with God? What about our failures? Maybe even today. Will you deposit that failure with God? What about your successes? you realize that we need to give the places where God gives victory in lives? We need to deposit those with God. He's faithful to keep them. He's faithful. He can be trusted. What about our health, our family, our understanding, our control? God is saying, I'm calling you. Make your deposits with me and declare with Paul. I'm convinced that you, God, are able to guard what I've entrusted to you. The story of a boy in a poverty-stricken area, and he was invited to church, and when he came, he felt the love of God in so many ways. And he just, he had never experienced this, uh, an environment like that. He had never experienced people like that. He was told about Jesus. He saw the love of Jesus. Um, and he was was in the service, and he had never seen an offering received. And as the plate went by, people were putting money in, and he asked the lady that was sitting next to him, what is that? And he said, we're We're giving these things to Jesus. And he watched the plate go by. After the plate went by, he he felt bad because he wanted to give to Jesus. He had nothing. So he went to the usher and he said, may I have the plate? And he gave it to him and put it on the floor and he stepped into the plate. He said, Jesus, this is all I have. I give you me. Could there be a better offering? God is calling us to deposit with him. As we do, we find freedom. It's all about surrender. This last phrase, until that day. Until that day is referring and speaking about the day when we're united with Christ. How long is this deposit guarded? (laughs) Until we step into his presence. Until we cross over. (laughs) This deposit is guarded for our lives. Now, what happens between this moment where even right now this morning, I make this deposit with God. Scripture says that, it, that I'm, I'm confident that he's going to guard what I've entrusted trusted to him until that day. What happens between now and that day? Let me tell you what, um, what I've personally experienced, and I think others can testify to the same, is that I've discovered the yo-yo deposit process. Okay? And what I mean by that is that I give it to God, and then I take it back. And then I give it to God, and then I take it back. I give it to God. And you know what? God is patient. <laughs> and growth is when I leave it with him longer. <laughs> you know? But, but you know, th- this isn't a thing where, you know, I give something to God and, and I trust it to him. And, and it's, it's secure in him, but yet the, it's not done yet. Because I still have the ability to reach my hands in and take it back. And one of the illustrations, again, that helps me so much is when I think about a, a financial institution, a bank. When I make a deposit into the bank, who's responsible for my deposit? The bank is, right? It's, it's entrusted to them. When I make a withdrawal, who's now responsible? I am. The bank has nothing to do with it. When I make a deposit with God, I can have confidence that he is responsible. When I take it back into my ho- own hands, I'm taking on responsibility that God doesn't want me to take. Now, there's a responsibility. We're going to get that in a minute. Um, but, but just remember that... That when we give something to God, that's by divine revelation. The Spirit's prompting and we're responding. But let's be, be open to the prompting of the Spirit when I find it back in my hands. Let's realize that we have that capacity. You know, and so then we have that opportunity then to, again, deposit with God. And God is waiting with open arms. So the second part is God's deposit with me. God's deposit with me. This is in verse 14, and <coughs> it, this is so beautiful. Because it it creates a cycle. What uh, Paul is saying to Timothy is is this, this truth. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we talked about my deposits with God. Now we're talking about God's deposits with me. Okay, th- there's a cycle here. There's, it, it's, it's certainly not a one-way thing. So so when I looked at this, um, I was curious when it says, uh, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. What is the good deposit? And the first thought I went to was earlier in that same chapter, um, Paul talks about the gift that was imparted to Timothy by the laying on of hands. I thought that must be the good deposit. And it certainly is part of it. But as you read the text and the context, you'll find out that that good deposit, I'm, I'm convinced, is foundationally and primarily the gospel that it's the gospel of christ that that paul is saying to timothy make sure that you guard this good deposit of the gospel that was entrusted to you but you don't do it on your own strength guard it with the help of the holy spirit who lives within us so god's not again saying i'm depending on you he's saying i'm depending on you with the holy spirit that i'm providing you know, and so many times we feel that even when God entrusts us with something, that, that it's on us, that we need to be the ones that, that are, are responsible. Yes, there's responsibility. Our primary responsibilities depend on him because I can't do it by myself, but the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the one that comes beside, is powerful. In fact, when the, when the gospel was entrusted to the disciples, what did he say? He said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. You will be witnesses, Okay but you need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So the gospel is being entrusted to us and we can only be faithful, we can only guard that deposit in a way that is right with the help of the Holy Spirit. So what is this gospel that we are, that we are entrusted to guard? The gospel, gospel means good news. It's the good news that God has come in Jesus Christ. And you know, so many times I think that we use the word and we say, yeah, that's, that it means good news. It, means, it me, means salvation. But what we really need to do individually is to be faithful to guard what has been, been entrusted to us. So what that means is that, uh, that we need to take the gospel that we've received and we need to be able to, to articulate it. We need to be able to explain it. We need to make sure that it becomes ours in a way that we can share it. Because, you know, Paul's not saying guard this gospel and that hold on to it. And don't share it with anybody else. When he entrusts us with the gospel, he entrusts us with the message of salvation that we're to share. When we we are entrusted with this deposit, we're entrusted with it in a way, again, that we need to know. This needs to be part of our lives so much that at any moment somebody could say, Tell me the reason for your hope. I need to be able to share that. That's not just for pastors. It's not just for people that, that are ministry leaders. This is for each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ that to be a good guard of what has been t- deposited with us, we need to know it well. We need to understand it well. We need to be able to communicate it well. And kind of this, the, a lot of times for me when I share the gospel, it depends on who I'm talking to because there are different inroads and people are different places. Um, but basically, here's, I'll give you the quick rundown, is that we were created in the image of God. To know him and to be in relationship with him. But we broke that communication, that that relationship, because we chose our own way. And when sin entered the world, through our own choice, we found ourselves in a place that we could not rescue ourselves from. But God is the rescue. Because God came in in the form of man, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was born of a virgin. He spoke and proclaimed truth. He performed miracles. He lived a sinless life. And when he died on the cross, most people understand at least the story of Jesus dying on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin that we couldn't pay. The wages of sinners is death. When I die, I'm just, just, when I die, I'm paying the penalty. Jesus' death wasn't paying a penalty for himself, it was for us. So when Jesus died, he, he provided the way, the covering for our sin. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us right now. So he's offered himself as the way. There is no other way. He's offered himself as the way. So when I believe in what he has done, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, I find new life. It's not just for a moment, it's for eternity. And when I come into a relationship with God again, the way that God originally created me to live, I live for him. I want to do what he wants me to do because that's what's best for me and it's what points to him. That's the one way to present the gospel. But what's important is that each one of us come to a place where we, we need to recite the gospel over and over to ourselves in a way that it becomes something that we can share, being entrusted with this good gift. It's so important that we are found faithful and the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit desires to empower you. The Holy Spirit desires to come alongside of you. So it's in partnership with God that we can be found faithful. And I love, you know, Paul made that foundation again that I know him who I believe in. I know him so I can trust him. Now, the beautiful thing is on the other side of the coin, God knows us and he still trusts us. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Wow. <laughs> he has faith in you and me. And he gives himself to us. But he gives himself to us, again, with him living in us. You know, I love coming to this place of fellowship where I'm around so many people who, who have a relationship with God. Because when I shake your hand or give you a hug or even look at you, I know that... That that body that I see is a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit is in you to help you to be faithful with what, with what God has placed within you. So guard that good deposit. And then that flushes itself out in so many ways. Because as, they found, as the gospel is the foundation, that primary good deposit, then there are all of these other things that God gives that are connected to the gospel. He gives us forgiveness. We need to guard that. He gives us gifts. He gives us fruit of the spirit. We need to make sure that we protect that because there's there's a and this isn't a gospel statement, but um, but I read that there that we're four generations from losing the gospel. And what it means by what they mean by that is if we're not careful, we can allow the gospel to slip away where we first accept it, and then we can become complacent with it, and then we become confused. And next thing we know that. We've lost the gospel. And that it doesn't mean that the gospel's changed. It doesn't mean that the gospel's not there. But as as churches, as individuals, if we're not careful in guarding the gospel, making sure that we that we preserve the gospel, that we stay true to it, because the gospel can be distorted. The enemy wants to take truth and twist it. The enemy wants to take the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and literally mutilate it in a way that people will not hear and receive the true gospel of Christ. We need to be found faithful. But the thing is is that these two things, what we're talking about, about about depositing with God and God depositing with us, they're not two independent things that are separate of one another. In fact, they're so intertwined. Because the thing is, is that as I'm giving to God, as I'm depositing with God, I'm opening myself, I'm emptying myself for God to then deposit with me. That as I empty myself, I'm giving place for God to then fill me. And this cycle is seen in Christ's life constantly. You know, he emptied himself when he became a baby. Right? And God was faithful and deposited, even when he became a human being with the limitations of a human body. But, but yet, God, God was depositing. And, and this is, um, I was actually scared to, to share this message. What I considered, one of the messages I considered for this morning, uh, was actually Jesus um, being tested in the wilderness. I didn't want to talk about it because it's about fasting. And honestly, I struggle with that, that discipline, personally. is that It's a practice that I need to, I'm starting to take these small steps because I need to become, become more with God, one with God in fasting so that I can be more, more one with God in Him filling me. Okay? So I don't want to, yeah, I don't have time to go off on this too long. But, but here's, here's a truth that I had never seen before and I read recently that I really do believe is truth is that I often didn't understand that when Jesus was baptized, he was beginning his public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, okay? Forty days without food, and the devil comes and he tempts him. And I always thought, wow, that's crazy, because, like, Jesus has to be so weak after 40 days of no food, and then the enemy's coming. And then I read this, and it, all of a sudden it made sense. When you get 40 days without food, when you deny yourself that much, you open yourself up to be so full of God. I never saw it that way. But am I willing to give of myself so that he can give of himself? Am I willing to deny myself so that he can come in more fully? It's not an earning thing, okay? It's not earning some special right or anything, but it's coming into a position where I'm postured before God, where I'm saying, God, this is to you. And God says, yeah, this is for you. And, and, gives, and he just gives more of himself. So it becomes like John the Baptist less of me, more of him. This is the cycle of again, let's do it together, okay? My deposit with God, God's deposit with me. And I found like even this morning when I was just going through this and, and I cut my hands and I said, you know, God, here's my deposits with you. I couldn't just receive right away. I needed to keep giving. I needed to be in that place. God, what do you want me to give you? What are you calling me to give you this morning? What are you calling me to give in this moment? And as I give to him, I've made room to receive more of him to me. And he gives gifts. Do you know him? Have you accepted him as your savior? Are you allowing him to be more and more the Lord of your life? It's what I consider this divine dance of yielding to him and allowing him to impart to me. I want to close um, with a video and I'm going to give some context to it. So um, this past week something amazing happened. Uh, The Passion Conference is a conference that began back in 1997. It's been calling, it's by um, Louis uh, Louis Giglio and his wife Shelly. They felt called of God to start this Passion Conference. And it's calling 18 through 25-year-olds to start the new year focused on God. And the whole focus of this, uh, the banner that waves, or the flag that waves over these events is, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you, for your name and renown are the desire of our souls. So what happened is um, they actually had the conference beginning New Year's Eve this year and went all the way to to January 2nd, uh, to Thursday at noon. And um, there were 65,000 young adults in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Incredible. Not only that, there were simulcasts that were going out. And we had a group here at Grace uh, through that time being part and participating in this, in this conference. So this Passion Conference, again, it's an absolutely amazing thing that God's using. Uh, they bring together, they had, I think, eight different speakers and 12 different bands and, and uh, music, music artists that led in worship and word. Um, they made a commitment. They felt called to um, to raise funds for this initiative that will spread the gospel, get the word of God in, in all languages of the world. They had a goal to raise a million dollars this, through this conference. They raised $1.2 million towards this goal. Young people love Jesus. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> Not only gives me hope for tomorrow, it gives me confidence and hope for today. 18 to 25 year olds. But uh, one of the artists that was there was um, Carrie Job, and she posted, um, posted this statement on Thursday. She was one of the worship leaders, and she said this I can't tell you enough how life changing yesterday was. So, this uh, again happened on New Year's Day. I can't tell you enough how life changing yesterday was. What an honor to lead at Passion 2020. A real, really cool backstory. A few minutes before we came out to lead, uh, we prayed as a team. Listen to our prayer. I prayed that the presence of God would feel so tangible that it would feel like it was touching our faces. I prayed that the presence of God would be, would, feel, would be so tangible that it would feel like it was touching our faces. I prayed Acts 2-2. Suddenly, there came a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where we were sitting. We started our set, and right in the middle of it, the roof of the arena began to open, and a whirlwind of wind began rushing into the room, whipping around, blowing in our faces, feeling like a tangible sense of his presence. You see, they had tried to open the roof for a few hours, and it wouldn't open until right then. I was beside myself at God's crazy creative beauty as he showed off. It was one of the most heavenly moments I've ever felt. I loved sharing it with each of you at Passion this year. What an honor to see what God is doing in the next generation. Y'all are something extra special. Keep falling in love with Jesus and praying radical faith prayers. He'll open up heaven. He'll open up heaven and he'll move on your behalf. I know for a fact. So we have the opportunity to now participate in that moment. I'm going to show you the video and so now you understand what's happening and you know the skeptic can look at look at it and say, "A roof open, big deal." You and I can look at it and say, "God revealed Himself." Why? Because a team came together and said, "We entrust this to you, God. I don't know how you're going to move, but we're just saying we we desire that you be revealed, that people experience you personally, and then they were faithful with, with what was trust entrusted to them." So as we watch this video, I just want to encourage you in this moment, whether What's happening there moves you or not. I want to encourage you to make deposits with God. And say, God, you know, this even means that how you fulfill this, it's in your hands. God, I'm giving this to you, but God, what you do with it, it's up to you. But I'm going to be faithful with what you put in my life. I'm going to be faithful with what you deposit to me. And I will do that by the power of the Holy Spirit that is living within me.